Do you read Stephen King? Good news, there's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network. From the leafy streets of Springwood, Ohio, to the barred windows at 1428, we are Halloweenies. This is God. And believe in my dream for me. Believe in my dream just for me. And we'll break the mold. Trick or treat, folks, and welcome back to a very special episode of Halloweenies. I'm your host today, Editor-in-Chief Michael Rothman of Consequence of Sound. Now, you're probably wondering why you have an interview with Joe Dante in your feed, and not, you know, Robert England or Lisa Wilcox. I have an answer for you. This is a horror podcast, and Joe Dante has a new horror movie. It's called Nightmare Cinema, a new horror anthology film featuring a wild collection of horror filmmakers, Alejandro Brue, David Slade, Rayuai Kitamura, and creator Mick Garris, who joined us on a special episode of the Losers Club you'll also want to check out. For this episode, though, Joe walked us through his incredibly haunting segment for Nightmare Cinema, Mirar. Mirai? Mirror. We'll go with that which involves some ghastly body horror. Together, we discussed what drew him to the story, his affinity for the anthology format, and what kind of terror the projectionist would play for him. We also talked about the current state of horror, how streaming has presented a new set of challenges for filmmakers, and yes, we talked about Gizmo. I'm telling you, it's a good one, so stay out of the bright light and listen ahead. Hi, Joe. Hi. Hey. Oh. Well, first off, I just want to say thank you so much for, for doing this interview. Um, huge fans. I, my, my girlfriend is incredibly jealous. She sleeps with, uh, <laughs> sleeps with four to five uh, Gremlins uh, dolls or toys every night. So she's just <laughs> insanely jealous right now. But um, Don't get them wet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We, we follow the rules. We definitely follow the rules. Um, well, first off, I wanted to, to ask about um, your segment in Nightmare Cinema. You know, it deals with the uh, with body horror, and uh, you know, and I think that's such a it's interesting brand of horror right now because I, you know, I think it it does speak a little bit to today's selfie culture, and I wondered, you know, what were your thoughts on body horror and what drew you to that story? Well, I wouldn't exactly call it Cronenbergian, <laughs> but uh, um, it, it's um, it, you know the, the the impetus to do a story to do that particular story was that it was a story we needed to do with not very many characters and, and basically not very loca- many locations because we were trying to save money uh, for some of the other episodes, which were more uh, uh, elaborate. Um, but uh, it's a whole plastic surgery thing and, and um, what people what, what people see when they look in the mirror mm-hmm. and what they think that other people see. Uh, it just it was fascinating to me. I mean, I, I, we've all seen the, the pictures of, of 
of people who have done more plastic surgery than they ever needed to do and continue to keep doing it. Michael Jackson did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, no, no matter. I mean, he, he by the by the time he was done, he looked like the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. And apparently, there's a there's something in, in the minds of people like this that they don't see what we see when mm-hmm. they look at themselves. They see a flaw or they see something that needs to be fixed or whatever and they don't notice the fact that their lips are, are distended or their nose has disappeared or their eyes are sunken or, or whatever whatever alteration they're making that makes them you know actually less attractive um, is, 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 is just a fascinating subject which I don't think actually has been you know uh, really examined that much mm-hmm. and so this was just a sort of a shorthand way of, of doing a story about somebody who is insecure about the way they look, uh, and is convinced for reasons of uh, not not even because they were uh, not not even because she was so um, vain. It was just because she wants to make her boyfriend happy, and so mm-hmm. she keeps saying, "Okay, well, I'll, I'll let them do this. I'll let them do that." Um, and then the, the flip side of it, of course, is that you know her boyfriend is obviously insane, and his mother is insane, and the doctor is insane, and everybody else in the story <laughs> is insane except the heroine. And by the end of the story, even she's insane. So um, it was just it, it just struck me as a sort of a little Twilight Zone-ish kind of story that we could do in 20 minutes or 25 minutes and uh, not take away from the other stories. That's absolutely. I was just going to ask, uh, ask about the Twilight Zone too, because I, I wondered if there was some sort of influence, especially with like the Eye of the Beholder, and obviously your connections with the Twilight Zone. Yeah, there was, but you know, oddly enough, I think David Slade's episode uh, is even more Twilight Zoney, mm-hmm. uh, because it's not just because it's in black and white, yeah. but it's got it's it, it's it's my favorite episode of the of the group, uh, just because it's so out there, and it's the kind of thing that I mean, you could maybe do it on Black Mirror. But you yeah. could never do it as a feature. You could never do it, and that's the other appeal of doing these these uh, multi-story movies is that, you know, you can do stories that that wouldn't work as a whole feature film because they're too slight, or they would have to be you know padded. Uh, and here they can they can be exactly as long as they need to be, and they can be just as weird as they need to be yeah. because they because the movie isn't riding on the one story. The movie has got other stories. No, totally, and I think that's what's so much fun about anthology horror in general. I mean, I, and I was I actually spoke to um, uh, Mick Garris yesterday, and we were talking about the resurgence of the anthology format, and we were trying to kind of discuss where why it's having this resurgence and why we're seeing it come back now. And um, you know, we discussed about streaming and and just the nature of horror in general and how it's been passed down, you know, through parables like you know centuries and centuries ago. But why do you feel? that streaming is just, or I mean, anthology is, is becoming a, a, you know, a thing again. Well, you've got to remember that the reason that anthologies sort of took a dive was because uh, they were being done as television shows, mm-hmm. you know, uh, amazing stories and uh, the, the twilight zone. These are, these were st- the, the problem with anthology stories is that unless you're making them at a studio with a lot and, and existing sets, you can't amortize your your backgrounds you you can't use them again and again you have you can't you can't afford to go to a different location every time uh for your, for another story every week um so now, but you can now because of you know stuff like black mirror and um you know shows that are are actually sort of little mini films that are intended to be films mm-hmm. and and they don't have to they don't have to rely on um being able to use the same sets over again um, and 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 also people's attention spans. I, I, it's, it's a tragic fact, but attention spans are are, are much shorter than yeah. they used to be. And there are a lot of 
a lot of younger people who don't actually like sitting through a whole feature film at one time because it's just too much stuff to do at once. And so they, 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 they like to, they'll either run it in pieces or they'll watch a story that you know, will resolve itself in 30 minutes and then they can go off and do something else. What are some trends that you're seeing right now in horror that you're either, you know, big on or you just kind of try to avoid, you know, because one of the things that we also discussed yesterday is that this film largely eschews the the sort of teen formula of horror. You know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of adults at this front and center of this um, of this movie. And um, and I wondered what were some other sort of tropes or some things that are, you know, current or modern today that you you're either a fan of or you kind of just like, eh, I'm not really into that. Well, the whole thing about the horror genre is that, you know, it's become so um, overexposed because of its popularity that uh, the audience is way ahead of the, uh, of the filmmakers uh, most of the time. And uh, I remember when we were doing The Howling in 1980, the idea that the characters in the movie knew about werewolves and had seen the Wolfman on TV and knew all that stuff mm-hmm. was almost groundbreaking because usually in those movies there was a whole segment devoted to explaining ever again, over-explaining the origins of vampires and the origins of, of werewolves and all that kind of stuff. But whereas this movie took it for granted that the characters were just like the people in the audience. Then you got the screen movies, which were movies that were based on people's understanding of what the horror cliches were. And then pretty soon everybody was a horror expert. Mm-hmm. And then the problem becomes, well, how do you surprise them? Because genre audiences mm-hmm. go to the genres because they like seeing the same thing. But if you only give them the same thing, then they're disappointed because they didn't get something different. So when you come to a movie like Cabin in the Woods, which is a movie that looked like it was going to be a movie about a slasher in a, in a, in a cabin and ended up being something completely different and more clever, that movie sat on the shelf for a year and a half mm-hmm. because nobody knew what to do with it. And, and it was actually a kind of a groundbreaking movie. So I, I, it's just people, people think that all they have to do to make a horror film is to have some girl being chased by a guy and have her fall down. And, and that, the, those days are over. Because people just don't put up with that anymore. No. So it's got to be more clever, which, may, which means that, it, that it's, it's, it's more difficult to surprise the audience than it ever was before. Do you see that more as a challenge or do you see that more as just, um, I mean, is that something that, that excites you as a filmmaker and as a, as a creative? Or is it something that you're kind of just Well, no, it is a challenge, watching? but it also makes it... It's a, well, I mean, I, I'm really not uh, interested in watching the same thing over and over yeah. uh, because I've seen all these movies. And, and, and if, I, if I want to see it, I'll watch the old movies before rather than have to see a new one. Um, so it, the challenge really comes when you want to uh, appeal to this audience, but you, want to, you have to do something that looks enticing enough to get them in. And, and used to, I used to say get them into the theater, but of course you don't do that anymore. You don't. You try to get them to click on their televisions. Yeah. Um, and and because of the fact there are no video stores anymore, and there's no way to go and look at a box and read about a movie and learn about it and decide whether you want it or not. If you go on a streaming service, all you get is a little box with the title, and then you click it, and it's like, well, it's potluck. You know, what is this? It's got. And, and then so now the title is holding so much more importance mm-hmm. than anything else about them because that's half the time all anybody ever sees before they click the movie. Oh, totally. Um, so it's, it's such a different world than it was, you know, when I started where, you know, movies actually were, <laughs> they were, they were single screen theaters when I, yeah. when I started making. Well, that, that, that's actually what I was going to ask you. Cause I mean, God, I mean, to see the, the wide swath of, 
of just of the range that you've seen and you know in working in Hollywood like I mean what are your feelings about the streaming right now do you think that's a good thing especially for the the, the horror genre I mean you mentioned it does present some more challenges for you know to the creators but in this you know having this endless sea or this infinite sea of of titles is that something that you think is good in the sense because there's a you know you're you know you can have a curatorial well, whether it's a, aspect whether it's whether it's a good thing or a bad thing it's here to stay so mm-hmm. there's not much we can do about it uh, I mean, one of the reasons that I started the Trellis and Hall website was because I wanted to get people interested in older movies that they might not have seen before, particularly in a world that, that didn't really have any use or, or relevance for those kind of things. Uh, and that's why we brought contemporary filmmakers to talk about the movies. So they said, oh, I like that guy. Let's see what movies he likes. Oh, he likes that. Well, maybe I'll see that. Oh, I like that. Maybe I'll see another movie by that guy. Uh, that's a, curata- a, a, a curated kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you, it's, it's hard to do that. Now, with the the onslaught of titles and stuff that you see, I mean, all these, and every time I turn around, there's a new billboard in, in Los Angeles that's got some new show I never heard of, yes. and it's on some channel that I never heard of, you know, yes. <laughs> the, the, the typewriter channel or the, you know, what, I mean, it's like, <laughs> who has these channels? I mean, who, yeah. who, who actually has these? How do you see these things? And yet, obviously, they're making, they're grinding them out. It's good. People are working. But... There's just this huge backlog of stuff that you know, nobody – I was so lucky. My, people in my generation were so lucky because the, the, the backlog of movies that had been made were, was, was manageable enough that you could see a lot of them and remember them. Yeah. Um, and, and, but now there's no way that mm-hmm. you can see and remember everything that's going on. And plus, movies that were missing for 70 years have now been unearthed and you can see those too. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful time to live in if you have a lot of time to watch movies, but, uh, but otherwise it's just, it's, it's exhausting. Well, one, one of the things that's interesting, that's also a flip side of that is that I feel like a lot of established creators are having these opportunities now to maybe even go back and kind of reposition them. Um, old titles is, you know, series. I mean, we've seen it with Sam Raimi with, um, you know, Ash versus Evil Deads, you know, Spike Lee did it for She's Gotta Have It. Are there any movies in your own filmography that you'd even consider doing uh, a series with or has anyone ever approached you? Um, I don't think so. I mean, um, there was supposed to be a Grumman's cartoon series, but when Grumman's two didn't make enough money, they canned that. Um, I mean, the only thing I've been involved with that I think could be worth resuscitating is Erie, Indiana, oh, God, which awesome. I think is is ripe for a remake. Uh, I, I, and I, I guess Stranger Things has sort of co-opted a little bit of that, but yeah. uh, but that was a great show. It was it like was. Junior X Files before the X Files, uh, and it's not that well known. I mean, it, it, there are people who remember seeing it when they were kids, but it's very hard to get the DVD and it. And it's kind of fuzzy anyway because it was, you know, <laughs> shot on film, but it was edited on tape, and now it only exists on tape, and so no, they can never make a Blu-ray or anything. Uh, but uh, but the stories were fun, and the characters were fun, and I think it was a, a show that had it come on five years later would have been a big hit. But, oh, I um, loved it. I think I, that's something that I I worshipped it. <laughs> worth revisiting. Yeah. I, I agree, and I think that because you know. As a kid, it was kind of a cult thing to be into spooky things, you know. Like I, I yeah, it I was, always is. Kids love spooky stuff. But now it's so huge. I, I just, I would, I think it would be amazing uh, to come back as a series, especially if it was on something like Shutter or, or you know, like a, uh, you know, like a Netflix or something. It was just so much fun. You know, I, I, it, it also kind of appealed to the idea that anything could happen when you're on your bicycle riding around your neighborhood, and I think that was just like <laughs> the exactly. best thing ever. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's funny you mentioned the Gremlins animated. Thing. I I think there's they're already starting to make an animated series for it or a prequel or some sorts like that. But um, 
they, they don't they don't keep me in the loop, so oh. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I did want to, uh, to to ask about something regarding Gremlins because um, you know the original script was supposed to be much darker, and I always wondered, did you it ever? Was. It was did, real dark. Yeah, it was insanely dark. I mean, the mother was supposed to die. Like, I mean, did you? Did you ever film or storyboard any of these grimmer scenes? Like, I mean, I know the mom's head is supposed to go down the stairs at one point. I mean, no, I did some storyboards, because, you know, in order to get the job. But uh, it, it it became very early. It became apparent that in order to be able to afford this picture, which was originally intended by Spielberg to be a low budget horror film, uh, in order to make the Gremlins work, uh, they were gonna it was they were gonna need more money, and that's when it became a studio movie. And when Warner Brothers got a hold of it, they said, well, you know, this is, this is an R-rated movie, and we don't want to make an R-rated movie. Um, and so it, 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 got, it got homogenized. And then, of course, you know, it also, once they saw the designs of the puppets and how cute Greg Gizmo was and all that kind of stuff, I mean, it was, it was, there was no way they were going to be able to make a picture that kids couldn't go see. Um, and believe me, it was controversial enough the way we did it. Yeah. But uh, we, we, I don't think it's the kind of – it didn't end up being the kind of movie where you want to see the mother's head get cut off or no, you know, no. <laughs> see the, dog, the dog get eaten. You know. <laughs> yeah, that would be a little too much. And I, but the thing is that, that, that I love is that I feel like you almost got to kind of revisit some of those darker elements with just the batshit crazy sequel, New Batch, which I love to death. I, I, I just I, – I think it's it's definitely one of those things where you, you know, you're talking about – movies that were being able to be re- reassessed because of the era that we live in. And I feel like the new batch is absolutely one of those movies. Like I I've, I've seen so many just takes and editorials just going like going crazy about being like, this is one of the best sequels of all time. And I, and I wanted to know what no, your thoughts there's on a, that. There's a website, the Institute, the Institute for studies of Grumman too. <laughs> it's very strange. <laughs> It's just, you know, I know the Key and Peele sketch definitely has like a lot to do with that. Um, but, yeah. you know, I, I just wondered what that, what do you, how do you, you know, how do you take that? You know, like decades later when people reapproach it, is there, is there some sort of like vindication? No, it's, it, well, it, it, there is in a way because, you know, they, they, they changed the release date on it to uh, put it up against Dick Tracy because they're afraid Dick Tracy was going to make more money than Batman, which was their, their big record holder. Yeah. And so they moved it from Memorial Day after after running TV ads. They moved it from Memorial Day back to July 4th. Yeah. And half the audience had already seen the ads on TV and thought that, oh, this picture's already been out. What do you mean? It's, it's an old movie. So it, it didn't do as well as it should have done, and um, which is why there was obviously no other Gremlin movies. Um, but it got good reviews, but it just, the, the problem was that the studio didn't really like the first picture and the studio didn't really like the second picture. What they liked was the money they made. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I will say though, I think out of all the franchises, I just, I think that that's a sequel that like pretty much push, puts the kibosh on it. Like you can't, I mean, you can't go anywhere after that. Like, I don't know. Well, that was sort of the idea. Like there was, <laughs> since there didn't seem to be a reason to make a sequel for Gremlins, why don't we make one about how there shouldn't be a sequel to Gremlins? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I lo- as, as, in terms of like an anti-sequel, I think it's just absolutely genius. Um, I, I have one question about sequels that something that really caught our eye. You mentioned on the movies that made me um, that you were originally hired to direct Halloween 3. And I, and I wanted to know if what was, what happened? there well i was uh, i was uh, john uh, john and i uh, had a, a meeting uh, about it and um he had he had some ideas and i had suggested at the meeting that nigel neal uh who we both love uh write the script and for it and and john was very enthusiastic about that and he actually did go to uh, to neil and um and have a, a script written but in uh, around that time 
uh, the Twilight Zone movie came up. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Halloween 3 was sort of a, a maybe yeah. going to get made. And the, the Twilight Zone movie was definitely going to get made because I was already working on Gremlins. And, and they, they drafted me to do an, uh, an episode of the Twilight Zone. So I said to John, I really have to do this. I can't. Uh, he said, it's okay, I'll, 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 I'll go on, I'll, I'll, I'll make it anyway. And, um, and, so, and so they made the, the movie that they did. But I, and I, I, so I, I really wasn't that heavily involved with it, but I did, I did like the idea, and I loved the idea that he was getting away from the Michael Myers thing. Me too. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the audience didn't seem to like that, <laughs> I that idea very much, but, uh, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, you know, it's a cool movie. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 speaking of the Twilight Zone, have, have there been any interest in getting involved in Jordan Peele's new revival? Well, not that nobody said anything to me about it, but I think that I think they're a little disappointed with it um, in terms of um, you know they 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 made a big splash with it and and it got lots of publicity and they tried to tie it in with the other show and the old show and and there were lots of stories on the internet and everything, but I think that in in practice the show has been uh, actually pretty disappointing for most people. Yeah, and, and also the fact that it's on a, a channel that almost nobody gets doesn't help. It doesn't. No, I mean we we did a series, we did a podcast series based on it, and we could just already tell that the the buzz is just everyone's like, "How do you watch this?" <laughs> We're like, "Yeah, well, we no, it's, it. and 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 they're really they're beautifully produced and they're mm-hmm. very well made, but they just don't they don't quite they're no they're not Black Mirror, you know they don't they don't rise to the Black Mirror level. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, well, I wanted to ask you going back to Nightmare Cinema. If you were to, you know, to walk into the Rialto and, uh, you know, if, what would the projectionist play for you? In other words, what would you, what is your ultimate fear? I think he'd probably project a picture of me on the unemployment line. <laughs> that's, a, that, that's terrifying. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> or he could, or he could project four more years of Trump, you know, that would <laughs> yeah. also terrifying yeah, so. seriously uh well <laughs> I, I i absolutely agree with that one um you know there's um talk of you know there's several anthology series that are out there um you know there's creep show that's uh coming out in shutter um have you been talking i mean are you interested in doing more actually i talked to uh i talked to the creep show people about doing one and it, it, it didn't work out schedule wise um and also they're 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 being made under Shall I say very rushed circumstances? Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's not there's not a great deal of money, time and money uh, involved in it, and um, I just uh, I, I I I talked to them about it. I, I thought about it, and I, I decided it wasn't for me. Well, I uh, hope uh, hope you I see more in the anthology realm, and I you know hope you see some more films. I I'm so happy to you know to be able to talk to you. Just total personal hero of mine. Um, thank you, Mr. Dante. Seriously, this has been great. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Okay. Have a great afternoon. Plug the hell out of the movie. Yeah, I will. I will. (laughs) Have a good one. Okay. Bye. That was fun, right? Well, if you haven't seen Nightmare Cinema yet, know that it's currently available to rent and stream right now on iTunes or Amazon Prime. You could also follow Joe on Twitter at Joe underscore Dante and check out his own website, Trailers from Hell. The site produces the very popular podcast, The Movies That Made Me, which Joe also frequently co-hosts. And Justin Gerber, our own co-host, is a huge fan of. As I mentioned before, we also spoke to Mick Garris, the guy that put this whole party together. He discussed his own segment and also talked about his recent chat with Stephen King on his Postmortem podcast. To find that interview, you'll have to head over to the Losers Club if you haven't already. 
In the meantime, we'll be back this month with A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. So make sure to pick up some diapers. But whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Consequence Podcast Network.